listening to The Cannabis Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast every week covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market information. As always, you can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. And now, your hosts, Jamie Cass and Pot Green. What up? Boy, that intro really sticks in your head, doesn't it? I, I was dancing again today. First time in a while. <laughs> I got the little bass thingy going on there. Awesome. Yeah, oh. rocket. Yeah, that's it. Well, we're back with episode 60. How about that? Number 60. What up with that? Wow. Yep. 60. Trying to figure so, out. It's, uh, moving on it's up here. What do, we, what do we do here, man? What's the deal with the cannabis agenda? Oh, I don't know. Hopefully not just spinning our wheels. We, uh, we discuss things relevant to cannabis policy, cannabis history, cannabis culture, and all things cannabis um, relevant. Um, and hopefully spark some interest in getting active to change some of, some of these policies that we believe are, are far more harmful than they are helpful. That's uh, precisely what we do, right? Isn't it? Um, Isn't it? That's that's pretty much it. Everything cannabis, and yeah, it is definitely. Uh, uh, we're definitely leaning towards um, policies being changed uh, around the world, sure. really, when it comes to cannabis. Sure. So, yeah. So we provide yes. information to, uh, you know, a lot of times to support that. However, we try we try to be. I mean, we try to be as you know level headed about it as possible whenever we find right. any potential. You know, I call that I call that an objective bent. Try an <laughs> attempt. I mean, there's definitely sure. you know. I mean, we definitely sure. have some bias, but <laughs> I mean, we tr- you know, especially with the scientific stuff, right? Don't you think that's key? Oh sure, sure. That's some of it. That's some of it. I mean, it's it's not really an accurate or effective discussion if you don't really try to be unbiased. At least try to be as 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 unbiased as possible. I mean, obviously we have a position here and we have understanding. You know, that cannabis is not deadly or evil or wicked or all this nonsensical stuff that, that you know, they're still saying uh, amazingly, you know, it seems like we're, we're saying that, that they've been saying forever and, you know, they haven't for decades now, but it's not that way. It's like they've been saying it forever and they're still saying it to this day. And there's like millions of people that go, this is complete bullshit, but somehow they're still saying it and it's effective. It's still the machine that they use, oh. you know. It's very effective, and it's like the media, when they sound off on any cannabis-related story, they sound totally stupid sometimes, but the words they use are totally, completely inflammatory towards marijuana, and people buy into it so fast. Um, The little bit of false information or, like, demonization of marijuana that they do do still, like, you know, in the the mass media and stuff, it's powerful. Um, And... uh, Spreading uh, truth is, at, at least with this issue, seems to um, take a lot more effort. Uh, it does. It does. You know what? It, the problem is because most time when you're saying something that's truthful or wanting to initiate some sort of a, I don't know, level-headed discussion about this issue, about cannabis-related issues, uh, a lot of times ears just go, zoop, and they shut right <laughs> There's this unknown mechanism that happens in certain people's ears and it just goes in their ears are solid sealed shut and they're not you're not going to get anything through to some people 
I mean, we have some Illinois legislators here that we've been dealing with forever. And he's one in particular, I won't name him, but I mean, anybody familiar with Illinois politics will know who I'm can probably fairly guess who I'm talking about. He's just adamant. No, never. It'll never happen on my watch. Period. Nope. Not legalizing dope. Right. I mean, that's the hardcore prohibitionist right there. And that's a tough mind to change. That's the toughest mind to change. And, but I mean, the super hard, how many, what percentage of, of our population you think make the super hardcore prohibitionists? I mean, 10 to 15% maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like this, like the, of what? Of this, of, of, of the citizenry of the nation. I think yes. so. But, but like of the, the federal lawmakers, <laughs> the people that actually put policy into effect and decide what gets changed or doesn't get changed. I think that's dramatically, uh, offset out of yeah. our favor. <laughs> meaning, meaning the actual meaning. politicians are strict prohibitionists or they just, take that line because they're pretty much forced to. Yeah. I mean, I've been involved with this for 18 years now. And dude, I I just went to the state house or the, um, Illinois, um, house and, and watched some debate about this, uh, medical cannabis bill. And it's just, it, it amazes me as much as it did like 18 years ago, (laughs) you know, how they're just blatantly ignorantly stating these party line ideological, catchphrases and and it just it, oh it was horrible it was horrible it's like you know it's why we do that thing called uh, but is it sophisticated i mean i think most listeners probably get it. it's a joke but you know we're, we're we're mocking the fact that they always use these set goofball terms to really accent their you know accent their their i don't know they're intending to say something derogatory about the, the issue right and that's what happens you know yeah, that's what happens. Um, we uh, do a lot of um, deconstruction, basically, of stories on the show and uh, activistainment. That's your word, right? I mean, we're talking to a lot of activists out there. Yeah. So um, that's you know. basically what we do here. And uh, what are we doing on today's show? Well, it looks like we got a full uh, show again for episode 60. A lot of important stuff to share with you, as usual, not always in the positive light of things. Um, but starting out, you know, nothing could be more positive than this new news. We have some money coming in. Yes, we'll spend some time on the show today uh, just acknowledging those of you that contributed to our program. Keep us going. Keep us healthy. We really appreciate that. We hate to ask for money, but, you know, we're, we're so grateful that you guys understand, you get it, and that you support us in the process. That's amazing to us, and we thank you so much for that. We're going to head straight into the national spotlight today because we think that this is likely the most important news, uh, certainly um, at least of this program, if not uh, the month or more. Um, Supreme Court recently giving police more leeway in home searches. Uh, We'll explain a little bit more about that later in the program. Uh, A group is suing the feds over marijuana rescheduling petition delay. So they've been trying to get this thing rescheduled, uh, which is really what we need to do at the federal level, you know. But the the government powers that be uh, are sitting on their hands, so to speak. Um, another little update about Willie Nelson. That should be an interesting one. Um, moving over to pot in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon Supreme Court decides med pot patients still have gun rights. And that's a good story. We've been listening, looking for a positive outcome of this one. Not so positive, on the other hand, DEA back to their no good in Spokane. That's for sure. We're going to tell you what's going on over there. Those unfortunate folks are, are still getting the brunt of the DEA's 
I don't know what you want to call that machismo. What are they doing? I mean, I don't, I don't know. We'll get to that a little bit later as well. Stop for some uh, questions and comments from our listeners. As always, we so treasure uh, hearing for you guys, getting your interaction, and uh, seeing that you guys are really tuned in. I think uh, I can probably speak for my my uh, friends here at the program that uh, we're, we're we're very much impressed by some of the comments and questions that we get. They're very in- intelligent and uh, articulated, very well articulated. So we we appreciate those. Keep them coming. Just feature a couple of our questions on the program today as well. Uh, swing over to California. There's a couple of good things going on. Um, uh, 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 an AB 1017, it aims to reduce sentencing guidelines. And we'll explain what we mean by that because it doesn't seem very obvious on its face. Um, but there's some positive news. It is pretty obvious. Uh, San, Ove, uh, San Jose likes taxing medical marijuana. They are reaping some benefits with their 7% tax. And we'll tell you what's going on with that. Coloradans are aiming for legalization in uh, 2012. That's right. Legalize it. Uh, we'll see how that's going to go down and uh, talk a little bit more about that moving over to international insanity where in this case this certainly is exactly that uh, military police attack pot protesters down in Brazil and we'll tell you what's going down with that scene a uh, very uncool scene um, take a little break to uh, talk to our supporters a little bit we do appreciate uh, you guys helping us out and getting the importance of our program and what this is really about you know, um, activistainment really is activist first and entertainment second. So uh, we get that you guys understand that there's a reason that we're here and talking about these important issues. Um, so appreciate that. Topic's barely worth any of our time. We're going to give you a little funny thing that's kind of kind of irritated me. You'll, you'll see what I mean when we get to that part. Uh, a woman weed segment today, rape opponents are pushing for pot to replace alcohol, saying that perhaps that would reduce the number of sexual uh, uh, assaults of all types. Uh, we've been covering the deaths at the hands of law enforcement. So we're going to check out one of those. We'll head over to East Coast Scoop. There's a couple really positive stories going on over there, moving some positive legislation. Uh, and uh, some uh, Rhode Island judge rules in favor of rights for their state uh, med pot patients as well. You have to be kidding me. This is a good one. I like this. Uh, you've got to be kidding me segments. Got some really funny stuff on there. This one doesn't uh, disappoint. Um, we do have a cannabis in sports as well today. That's kind of cool. Uh, Coach Tony Dungy is going to talk about marijuana use in the NFL. Um, we got a weird uh, from the Sensi stock market update. It's actually a PR uh, press release. Um, for a new product, a temp, co- temp company is using a novel approach uh, to identifying cannabis strains. We'll tell you what we mean by that. It's interesting, at least. Um, from the research bin, we got a little bit of uh, uh, data from the Pew Research Center. Um, I don't know. I'm asking the question, is cannabis uh, legalization, um, are, we, are we at a tipping point nationally? Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more in depthly. And, uh, and then this great show with a great clip from Christopher Fitchner on his book, Cannabinomics, the Marijuana Policy Tipping Point um, from Reason.com, which, or Reason.org, is it? I don't know. Great site, nonetheless. And uh, with that, that should wrap us uh, episode 60. Um, as always, you guys can follow along at uh, CannabisAgenda.com. There, are, our uh, notes are always available to you, so you can look at uh, whatever we're talking about uh, on the show and click the links and check out the stories or the clips um, that inspired the discussion. So, uh, so follow along there. You can also just listen to the shows directly from the website. Um, 
There's a bunch of other tabs on there. One of the biggest tabs right now is the support uh, support tab. Um, check it out and consider donating to the Cannabis Agenda if you um, if you could. Uh, we'll talk more about that later in the show. Um, also, you can email us anytime, info at CannabisAgenda.com. Send us any questions, uh, ideas, comments, criticisms, whatever. Send it to us uh, at the email address. Um, or you can call. Uh, you can leave up to three-minute voicemail, 707-654-CAN, which is C-A-N-N, or the number is 2266. Um, if you'd like, check us out on iTunes. It's a pretty easy way to keep up with podcasts. It's downloaded to your player automatically when it becomes available. Um, and you can um, leave reviews for us there, and that really helps us uh, with our ratings there on iTunes. So if you do that, we'd really appreciate it. And if you happen to use Twitter or Facebook, check us out. We're on there and suggest us to your friends. Uh, let's see. We got some quick uh, business to take care of here, it looks like. Um, like I was just saying, if, uh, if you enjoy what we do here at uh, Canvas Agenda, um, please consider supporting us um, by subscribing at $4.20 per month um, or making a one-time contribution of whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, <laughs> we're basically uh, trying our best to get some new equipment. So we really, uh, really would appreciate any help that you could, um, that you could give us. So if, if you can, please help out. Uh, and we did get some support this week, and we will be thanking everybody for all your support later. We're really stoked. Thanks, guys. Um, mm-hmm. Also, uh, MarijuanaPodcast.com. It's an aggregate of some of the best cannabis radio on the net. You can check us out there and a bunch of other uh, marijuana-related podcasts. And um, we are also on the normal network now, uh, which airs Mondays at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, you can find us on that network at live.normal.org. Uh, basically, for anyone that's listening to us for the first time or listening to us via the normal network, the show is cut short at an hour, basically, so it fits in a one-hour time block. Um, if you want to uh, check out the full show, you can find us on iTunes or at our website, campusagenda.com. Let's move into the national spotlight. What we got going on today, buddy? Mm, well, the Supreme Court says police searches are okay based on marijuana odor and noises. Ugh, not very good news, actually. Um, this one was from the StopTheDrugWar.org. Um, well, where do we start with this one? Last Monday, no- first of all, let me explain. Huh? You said noises, too? Yeah, let me uh, let me start out by explaining a little bit about what's going on here. The U.S. Supreme Court uh, last Monday upheld uh, the search of a Kentucky man's apartment. Um, this is from a case. Remember the one where? Well, hope maybe you'll maybe you'll get it. A Kentucky man's apartment after police broke in without a search warrant because they said they smelled burning marijuana and heard sounds suggesting he was trying to destroy the evidence. So they're outside and they say they smell some cannabis burning. And then they hear something and they, they think that that's somebody in there trying to destroy evidence. So they went in and busted him. The decision in Kentucky versus King overturned a Kentucky Supreme Court ruling in favor of the, of, uh, the apartment resident. Hollis King is his name. Um, he was arrested after police entered his apartment and found uh, drugs in there. Uh, Fourth Amendment doctrine holds that police must obtain a search warrant, of course, um, to search a residence unless there are exigent circumstances. And uh, in this current case, the exigent circumstance was that after police knocked on an apartment door, they heard noises. They said suggested evidence was being destroyed, like, I guess, I don't know, toilets flushing or something. Um, What, blowtorches? Well, I don't know. It would have to be toilets flushing. What noise would suggest that? I can't imagine. But uh, somebody going, hey, hide the shit. But uh, 
The Kentucky Supreme Court uh, had held that police could not use the exigent substances exemption because they themselves had created the exigent circumstance by knocking on the door. The U.S. Supreme Court, however, begged to differ. And in his opinion for the eight to one majority ruling, uh, Justice Samuel Alito wrote that people have no obligation to answer the door when police knock or to allow them to come in if they have opened the door. In such cases, police would have to persuade a judge to issue a search warrant. But that's not what King and fellow apartment residents did. They started scuttling around suspiciously upon hearing police announce their presence, or at least police said they did. Occupants who choose not to stand on their constitutional rights, but instead elect to attempt to destroy evidence, have only themselves to blame, uh, Justice Alito wrote. Only Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dissented, arguing that in ruling for the police, the court was giving them a way to get around the search warrant requirement in drug cases. She said... Police officers may now knock, listen, then break the door down, never mind that they had ample time to obtain a warrant. Uh, oddly enough, King was not the target of the police uh, that started this whole case uh, in the first place. Uh, Lexington police had set up a controlled drug buy on the street outside the apartment building, but when they attempted to arrest the suspect, he fled into the building. When police arrived in the hallway, the suspect was gone, and all they saw was two apartment door. All the police saw were, were two apartment doors. When they smelled the odor of pot coming from the, uh, this guy's apartment, King's apartment, they chose that door <laughs> and went in and busted him. And uh, the original suspect was actually in the other other apartment. They arrested him later, so he didn't actually end up getting away, but they just, you know, they're chasing some dude and then they smell weed and go, hey, get it. <laughs> they went in there and that's oh, that got smells started. good. Hey. Yeah, but... Uh, uh. Ultimately, this is this is some bad news. You know, this is the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, as Stop the Drug War puts it in there in this article, if you want to check it out, uh, it's from their Drug War Chronicle issue 684. By the way, um, there's a, there's a caption on this photo they have here in the story. It says U.S. Supreme Court dismantling the Fourth Amendment brick by brick. And it's pretty uh, pretty intense stuff because it's really what's going on here. That's uh, it's not this isn't a happy story. Yeah, no, yeah, for this sure. is. This is a shitty way to start the show, um, but this is the biggest. <laughs> this definitely the biggest story, and it has huge implications. You know, I really love the smell of marijuana, but things like this and times like this are like I wish it didn't. I wish it had no odor, because like you know, it's pungent, man. And cops use this, and this is just like in the car. They can just say, "I smell marijuana. We need to search your car. We at least need to call a dog to see." Duh, 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 duh. And like that's what, now that's what they're going to be able to do with your house. Ridiculous. You know, right? Absolutely ridiculous. Um, yep. I don't even understand the sound part of it. So, what sounds does that include? Like only the sounds? Yeah. Of what is that? I don't that know what that is. Destroying so evidence for like I know. I mean, obviously, it's 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 toilet flushing and shuffling around inside of the house and shit. Right? It's like the cops knock on the door. So if they hear you move, so like you best no matter what, <laughs> better tiptoe. Um, and don't I mean, take a shit when the cops come to the door. Definitely, if you're taking a shit when the cops come to the door, don't, don't flush. flush it. You can try and wipe right. your ass really quietly, but don't flush it. And um, you should be, I mean, at least then they can't just kick your door down or, or not. I, I don't know. I want, what? If I thought, a, if I thought a, a raid was imminent, I would wait and I wouldn't wipe myself clean. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, extra bonus for the feds. <laughs> Sorry, maybe that's just lacking good taste, but 
that's what I would do. Oh, bro. Gross. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Moving um, right along, folks. What do you think, though, seriously, are the, it, from the way that you're reading this, are the sounds that they're talking about only related to sounds of destroying evidence, or are they related to sounds of um, fans and lights well, and way, bombs uh, or whatever? It's saying that this, this particular wording is saying is, uh, is pinpointing the, uh, the, the, distinctly the sounds of destroying evidence. Okay. And I mean, that's what's so subjective about it. I mean, first of all, how do they really define that? It's not, I don't see how that's defined. Um, and I mean, it's so subjective. Anything that says, I mean, unless you have a recorder that's running actively all the time, constantly, <laughs> they can just go to that time frame and then listen to find out what you're, you know, I mean, they don't have that. So it's all up to the, the cop can just go, Let's go in there. Wait, we can't go in there. We have a warrant. No, we hear this rustling sound, don't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess we do, don't we? Let's go in there. You know, and that's how it works. I mean, it's actually a little bit simpler than that. They just think that and go ahead and go in because it gives them a free reign to do that. I mean, it's so ripe for uh, abuse. It's just like, I don't know. I can't believe they keep doing these things and doing these well, things. Well, because you could it. smell... I mean, you could smell marijuana coming out of someone's window and they could only have right. a joint in their house and that could be what they're smoking currently. And then you're going to bust. I mean, so then you happen to knock on the door and they shuffle a little to like put the joint out or flush it or whatever. And you can kick the door down for a dupe for one doobie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it just, I mean, it seems to me. It's uh, yeah, it seems to me like this is effed. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It yeah. is screwed up. It's really wrong. It's strong arming people and it's trying to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to really discuss it really that well without sounding like, I don't know. I hate the word conspiracy theorist or, or anti-government or, you know, the whole slew of things like that. But I don't know. I might, I might come off a little bit biased on this one. Because you know we see how the Supreme uh, the Supreme Court has been deciding um, in questionable ways on a lot of things that have to do with cannabis legislation. I mean, it's obvious on all the levels are kind of conspiring together to make sure that they do not let any kind of serious decriminalization or legalization get anywhere. So far, doesn't it seem that way to you, or is that just my? Well, like this is different. This is this is different. This is from a state that doesn't have medical marijuana. Kentucky does not have medical marijuana. Um, the any of the cases that have involved medical marijuana, you're absolutely right. Um, but the reason is is because under you know it's the whole under federal law, medical marijuana is not like, you can't even really talk about it in in the Supreme Court since it's illegal. So I mean, I don't know. I just don't. I, 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 you know, from the su Supreme Court level, it seems to me like for them to rule against anything that's a federal case, it has to be, you know, marijuana has to be federally legal. But as far as like this, like home searches and stuff, this is kind of separate, you know, from medical marijuana and states' rights versus the federal government. And, um, this is this is just your basic, you know, 
civil rights right here we're talking about. And uh, apparently now, you know, you can get your door kicked in anywhere in the country for smoking a joint inside your house. So it's bullshit, man. Uh, Rescheduling. That's what we got to do. We got to fix this at the, at the federal level and make that part go away. It, it has to. I mean, until that goes away, the Supreme Court's not ever going to be on on the side of medical marijuana or or legal marijuana if a state is to legalize it in their state. They're just not going to. So, um, and I don't even think that matters whether it's liberal or not. I, you know, I, I imagine it's it could it could be it could be a, a you know liberal majority court, and you probably still would end up with them ruling in favor of the federal government. So, um, you know, that's just kind of kind of how I feel about it, but you know, this, this issue, they could have chose differently. They, they, it's, this wasn't a state versus federal thing here. This is just search and seizure type stuff. And, um, the precedent that this sets is crazy and will and this will be put in action now. Like cops will be taught like, or they'll try and then they'll, and they'll do it and it'll be like these little changes to the scenario. Like, well, the sounds we heard were these sounds. And then it's like, I mean, because if they're only talking, I don't know, it's crazy, the destruction of evidence thing. Like, yeah, I don't know what that could be. Like movement, pure. I mean, it has so, it's so subjective. The smell of marijuana, yeah, you're going to smell it maybe. But even still, you may not be able to d- direct it to a single apartment or whatever. And even if you do... It's just you could always you could basically knock on any door that smells like marijuana and say it sounded like they were just because it smells like marijuana so you know there's marijuana in there and then if they don't answer the door fast enough you can just say it sounded like they were destroying evidence and um, mm-hmm. kick the door down basically so uh, yeah we'll see how this kind of gets in how it you know gets it's what its implications are if if. Uh, police forces across the country or in some areas start moving towards this sort of tactic. We'll see. You know, we'll keep you guys updated for sure. And meanwhile, we're having focus on rescheduling. Um, there's some uh, groups that have been working on a rescheduling petition for quite some time now. Um, do you, are you familiar with that story? No. Um, well, there's a coalition of medical marijuana and drug reformer group, uh, groups um, that have been working on marijuana rescheduling at the federal level for quite some time. And they filed a a suit in federal court in Washington, D.C. just this past Monday in a bid to force the government to act on a rescheduling petition that's languished at the DEA for nearly nine years. Um, The lawsuit asked that the government respond to the petition within 60 days. The petition argues that uh, cannabis has accepted medical use and should thus be removed from Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substances Act. Exactly what we were talking about earlier. Um, 16 states in the District of Columbia currently allow for the medicinal use of marijuana. Yeah, let me say that again. 16 states. That's cool. I like the way, I like the way that sounds. Anyway, because, you know, Delaware and all. Uh, and an ever-increasing... Uh, you betcha. Ever-increasing amount of evidence has shown marijuana to be effective in treating a number of diseases and conditions. The groups filing the lawsuit include, she's uh, like a who's who, the Coalition for Rescheduling Cannabis, Americans for Safe Access, Patients Out of Time, Normal, and California Normal. Also included are medical marijuana patients, William Britt, Kathy Jordan, Michael Krawitz, and uh, Rick Steeb. Um, the federal right. government so strategy has been delayed, 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 says the chief counsel for ASA. Um, and he's the lead counsel on this writ. He said it's, uh, it's far past time for the government to answer our rescheduling petition. But unfortunately, we've been forced to go to court in order to get a resolution. You're here. 
So they put this in. They put this in uh, this petition in nine years ago, and it just sat yeah. there basically with the well, DA. They've been fighting to keep it growing, and and and, and it's just, they've been getting the the complete cold shoulder blow off, <laughs> really. And they're just they expect that these organizations are so used to this, you know, so they already know what's what's to expect going in. So they're just been tenacious in putting up with the, you know, I mean, not putting up with things really, just trying to fight through the limits of the limitations of the system. And uh, now they've arrived at this point. And uh, I don't know if this is going to work. I mean, there's been lawsuits before to try to get them to move on this thing. But here we are nine years later and it's still not gone anywhere. So what is the petition? I mean, they have the ability to just deny the petition probably. Right. If they want to. Um, I don't know. Hold on. The story goes on, uh, down here below. This is a really good coverage by the way, from stop the drug war.org. Um, it says this isn't the first time the DEA has failed to act on a marijuana rescheduling petition. Normal filed a petition in 1972. That time it took Dude. the DEA 20, 22 years to reject Jeez, it. Jeez, 22 years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, overruling its uh, its own administrative judges finding that marijuana did have accepted medical use. I think that's Francis Young's infamous statements in his uh, uh, finding. Uh, I forgot the case name, but yeah, I think that's where that stemmed from. But anyway, since then, the case for the medicinal use of marijuana has only grown stronger, uh, forcing the DEA to act on the petition as a win-win for reformers, this story says, um, if the DEA concludes that marijuana does have medicinal value, it must be rescheduled. If the DEA concludes it does not, that finding can then be challenged in the federal courts. So either way, this is a potentially good. Th- this is a good fight to pick. If you have to choose yep. your fights carefully, this is exactly number one choice for us to make. I think. Yeah, I like that it's a win-win. I mean, but the thing that's not win-win about it is the fact that the DEA can just sit around with its thumb up its butt for like decades right. and not not rule on it. I mean, well, that's crazy. So I I wonder um, if in the first uh, so this is it doesn't say in here, but the DEA. So there's been they've normal filed in '72. But did they try this? Did they file suit against the federal? It doesn't look like they're not saying anything that they did, that they filed suit against the federal government to get them to act. So now basically what these the, the people that filed the suit says is if the government doesn't respond within 60 days, um, they'll continue forward with some sort of lawsuit, trying to sue the government for not acting. Is that what is that basically what I'm getting out of this? I think you're right. I think that's that's what I read in the story. Uh, I think that's so. That's like headed. the new tactic to try to get them to hurry up and not take 25 years to uh, to act on this. Yeah, well, they've been dancing around playing legal games and 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 to their advantage and manipulating the law to their favor in their favor, you know, to support their kind of ideology, you know. And now I think these organizations are just they've gotten really attuned to playing at their own game. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. can, uh, they can play that same game with them and, uh, that's what they're doing. Well, that's what they're trying to do anyway. Well, hopefully they'll start to move on it. I wonder it's, if, um, it's I mean, not just legal move maneuvering, you know, it's, it's like federal level, federal government level legal maneuvering. So that just inherently adds this sludge factor to it. It takes forever. Right, because I wonder if the DEA can just say, 
We're working on it. We're working on it. This is an important issue. It takes a lot of time. We're we're, we're not. We're we're actually working on it already. Maybe later. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess uh, the only way that we can't. It's the only way that it's not a win-win situation. Then if this lawsuit doesn't work to speed them up, and they can just keep on ignoring it. Um, You know, that'd be. That'd well, be what I, I think, think what they're saying is either they'll comply or else if they don't comply, then they'll have a bone to pick with them after the 60 days, and uh, supposedly. And then they can bring, bring up a case in, in the federal court at that point. Yeah, I, I wonder, uh, uh, will it be a case against the DEA, though? For, it won't be a case for the petition. It'll be a case for, against the DEA for not acting on something. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? It'll still be the right. petition will still be sitting in the DA's office. I don't think that. I mean, my guess is is that a judge, like anybody that's been following these issues and knows anything about who's running the DEA nowadays, right? I don't think there's much. Uh, many people would think that they're going to lose much sleep over this. <laughs> At all, Probably not. They don't, they're not uh, worried about probably it. They, not. they just don't give a shit. Frankly, they just don't care. They don't care. They don't care. They, That's they, they don't do. care. Hey, um, you know, they don't care. But you know who does care? Oh. Willie Nelson cares. Willie cares. <laughs> I care about Willie. Willie's cool. But uh, <laughs> what, what was he been up to lately? It looks like uh, he endorsed Gary Johnson for president, but it's kind of backpedaled on it a little it's, bit. Yeah, so um, I guess that's, like, maybe right around the time of our last show. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. He stepped forward and uh, endorsed uh, Gary Johnson um, for president. And I'm not sure he came out with a press release. Uh, well, I guess the Johnson campaign came came out with a press release, and it it's it has a quote from Willie in here. Um, but I guess a week after that, uh, Willie came out and said that my position is that it's too early for me to endorse anyone, and I think everyone should vote their own conscience. And uh, so Steve Bloom, uh, Steve Bloom has an interview with uh, Willie at uh, Sleb Stoner, um, and it goes into some of his his reasoning. Um, Willie says the teapot, the teapot, the teapot party is millions of people. It's not the tea party; it's the teapot party. It's millions of people. It's not me. I jokingly said after I got out of jail in Texas that uh, there's a tea party and there should be a teapot party. The difference is that we follow our own drummer. No one can tell us how to think. If we back someone, that's us telling them how to vote. I'm not qualified. Uh, you can say or do anything you like, and I will su- say, uh, or, and I will do the same. But let's don't back a political candidate. Let's give our opinions and say what we know uh, about everyone. But let's let everyone decide for themselves. So, um, yeah, interesting. I think it's kind of cool for them to for him in the teapot party. <laughs> I don't even fully understand what the teapot <laughs> party is, but it was uh, a joke. Is all. Uh, yeah, I think that um, it's cool if they let their own members decide on who to vote and not endorse one presidential candidate and just kind of give the information um, that they know about the different can- candidates. I mean, you know, uh, potentially I would guess Willie Nelson is going to vote will vote for Gary Johnson, but who knows? You know, I mean, he he could change his mind on that. And I think that's what is that's kind of the right that he wants to have. He said to be uh, able to change his mind if he wants to, you know, he also said he might uh, consider um, Dennis Kucinich in his comments. Oh, okay. So, so he's, I agree with him. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think Gary Johnson is obviously pro cannabis, 
pro-sensible drug law, I think is a good way to characterize his, his viewpoints on it. But uh, in my mind, uh, it's 10 times better choices, Dennis Kucinich. Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, Dennis Kucinich has a decent, I think, well, I don't know, does he? How's he on pot? Do you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's probably the most sensible drug policy um, of any federal legislature or legislator. He's one of the first. He's one of the only people that stands up with integrity and goes, nope, I'm not. The whole everybody under the sun is like, hell yeah, I'm for bombing anybody where I'm a patriot. Yep, hell yeah. And he's like, during all that shit, you know, after 9-11, he's one of the only guys. He goes, nope. I think this is wrong on, on many levels, and I'll explain each one of them in detail. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, shit. It didn't matter because every single buddy, everybody else voted yes. You know, and he, d- he does it on a lot of legislation where everybody just goes, yeah, well, we're definitely going to do this. And he goes, well, this isn't actually sensible, though. Look, this is why we need to have this discussion. It's important enough. We should do this. So he's been a thorn to a lot, in a lot of people's side. I don't know if he's electable. For all well, I mean, this is means. his third time running, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he. I know he, Gary Johnson's not really. Not that he couldn't be a good president. It has nothing to do with it. I mean, just is he? You know what I mean? Um, is he what electable? Yeah, yeah. he might be. Actually, can he get a, a a majority of folks to go out there and go, "Hey, I want this guy to be president." Um. We'll see. I think he's, I would, my guess is he's top three contender so far, at least for the Republican nod, you know, a nomination. So I don't know, but, uh, we'll, I guess we'll have to see, you know, um, especially if they try, you know, cause the pot thing could be tough for him if they try to nail him with that, but it'd be, if they try to nail him with that, at least it, then it'll be a, an issue in the Republican debates and stuff for the, in the primary. So well, that's their sound on it though. They're sound on their, on their point. They can argue it. I think they can, they can all, they all feel fully confident to speak to it. So they really, I don't think that their adversaries, even though it's like every, almost everybody else against them, I really think that they would rather not highlight his viewpoints and get those things out there. Because, I mean, look at how Ron Paul said, look, we need the federal government to tell us not to do heroin? Are you kidding me? You think that if heroin is legalized tomorrow, that everybody would like run out there and, and start I, doing heroin? I don't see how the Republicans can't talk about drug policy when they have Gary Johnson and Ron Paul running for, right. you know, for in the primary. I mean, yeah, it's, that's, a, it's a weird party right now. It's all frac- It's all fractionalized and... There's all these different like little factions in there. And it's, yeah. It's really weird. It's, it's searching for really a new identity. And I wonder if it's trying to be more of an inclusive group than it. I mean, because that was, you know, it, it got crushed in 2008 for being kind of an exclusive sort of party. And, um, you know, it's, since then, it seems like they've been searching really hard for an identity. And it has, it's totally fragmented. But I just I still don't see how they can how like with having Ron Paul and Gary Johnson there, you can't even discuss it. I mean, it's gonna have to be discussed in the primary. So I'm thinking. Yeah. But well, you know, I don't, I don't know. think Ron Paul have any problems talking about cannabis <laughs> at all. I, I was I was actually shocked. He just flashed right out there, jumped right on the heroin immediately. <laughs> see, he went like, straight to heroin. Smokes. It, what, it wasn't even a gateway theory thing or anything. Just straight to the dope. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't say, you know, some of our laws, like cannabis-related laws, are, you know, it's not sensible. I mean, we can look at that and obviously see that, you know. I can hear him, you know, slowly easing into the the, the subject matter, but he just said, legalize heroin. <laughs> yeah. Well, woo. <laughs> well, that was like the same week that his son called, uh, said, be, you know, if you're behind... Um, you know, nationalized healthcare, then you are basically, it's the same as supporting slavery. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I think that one got more play than Ron Paul's, but the, the mass media tried to make Ron Paul kind of yeah. look like a crackpot with the soundbite edits of what he said, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm sure it kind of worked for a lot of people. So, uh, let's get on to uh, pot in the Pacific Northwest. What's going on? It looks like got uh, sure. some Oregon and well, Washington. Uh, Oregon Supreme Court deciding. Uh, well, you know, you, you're a med pot patient, so now you can't have a gun. Does that supersede your gun rights? Um, Oregon very strong on, on gun rights, uh, gun laws. If, if you're not familiar with the state, um, big issue over there in the state of Oregon. This uh, back in January. There was a case uh, mentioned in uh, the MPP blog. We've been following that with Morgan Fox. Um, and uh, it was a, a sh- uh, an anti-marijuana sheriff in Jackson County, Oregon. Uh, he was trying to deny the renewal of a concealed handgun permit for this uh, lady named Cynthia Willis. She's a licensed medical marijuana patient. And the sheriff was so adamant about the case that he took it all the way to the Oregon Supreme Court. Well, this is pretty cool, actually, it turns out, because his primary argument was that granting a concealed handgun license to a patient, or in his terms, a drug user, you know how that goes, uh, would be a violation of the Federal Gun Control Act. The law makes it illegal for anyone using or possessing an illegal drug to own or use a firearm. And, of course, the federal government still considers marijuana in any form, obviously, um, to be illegal. But uh, the court just uh, May 19th uh, ruled unanimously that being a medical marijuana patient does not strip a person of his or her constitutional rights, at least as far as state law is concerned. And uh, so this is a really big deal, whether you are for gun laws or liberalization of gun laws or, or you know, you hate guns, whatever you, well, you know, whatever your opinion or, or stance on, on the issue, uh, gun issues are. I mean, the fact that this is a, uh, a, a hard-fought right of of into civil a very uh, significant uh, core civil liberty for people in this area, and uh, for it to get taken away for something that's not related in any way to that right, then uh, this is huge for this to get. And and it, the the fact that it was unanimous is really a good thing, I think, as well. I mean, that was good news to me. But anyway, that's a that's a big. Uh, that's a big issue. That hasn't been tried in the federal Supreme Court yet either. In a federal case where the feds come in and and they got you know like uh, Mary Angel Reich or whatever her name was, like she was just think, a she was just a patient. You know what I mean? Say she yeah, had, had a gun. I don't think though, that, that it could it could get tried. It would need to get tried because they're already solid on it. I mean, it's already stated explicitly that you know you can't do that at the federal level. So what this law did is say it ex- it asserted its own state states rights. And you're you were talking oh, you're about right. the Angel yeah. Reich case. 
that's mm-hmm. a that's a good that's a good uh, connection to to what's going on here because you you remember that case they they said that uh, California can have its medical pot laws, but the feds can also still have their laws and choose yep, and to we can prosecute. Them. Yep, and we can prosecute people like her, and we're going to. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, they can. And then not only that, they don't recognize medical marijuana. So they wouldn't, if there'd be no reason to try a gun case in, in federal court because they don't recognize medical marijuana, period. So it's right. just marijuana and guns. It's not medical marijuana and guns. It's only marijuana and guns. So there we go. More of a case for rescheduling. But I mean, state by state, I guess they can decide then because most of the cases that are prosecuted, gun cases that are prosecuted related to marijuana are, are prosecuted at a, a state level. So now they could go into someone like, you know, Angel Reich's house if she were in Oregon and she could have her, you know, her handgun for protection or whatever and they wouldn't slap another charge or they wouldn't slap any charges on her i I want in the past and sometimes they come into a house they probably it's like a a low level amount of marijuana or a small time grower or whatever and the cops are like probably weary of whether to charge them or not but they find a gun and boom i'm sure they charge them you know what i mean so um it's it's uh this is uh, it's it's probably going to have a, a large implications, you know, because I know a, a lot of people who would probably appreciate having some sort of protection in their house, but don't simply because they use marijuana. And, uh, you know, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. That's cool, though. That I think, I mean, it's pretty crazy that it was unanimous. I, I would think it would, you know, wouldn't be, be that easy. Um, yeah, a couple of them would be in somebody's pocket. <laughs> They'd be like right. the two no votes. You know. Right, right. What's going on with the new legislation in uh, Oregon? Oh, there's some pending legislation going on. Uh, potential uh, serious uh, changes happening. State lawmakers will hear from the public um, Thursday about a proposal by former state troopers uh, to make it harder for people to qualify for a medical marijuana card and tighten controls on the people growing it. Um, this is, uh, uh, the other side of what's going on in Oregon, I suppose the bill's proponents say they want to combat abuse of the program without hindering as- access to medical marijuana for people with a legitimate medical need. How many times have we heard that? Um, but the bill faces opposition from medical marijuana advocates who say there's no public outcry over the current system. Um, so they're saying, you know, it's not broke. Nobody's bitching about it or complaining. What's the problem? Why are you messing with this? Um, it, it, it really is obviously some aggressive action on their part. The Oregon chapter of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws plans to, to transport people from Portland to Salem to uh, voice opposition to this bill. The measure raises the standard for doctors to authorize medical marijuana cards for patients, and it imposes tougher restrictions on authorizing the drug uh, for minors. Those under 18, I think, is how they they, they term uh, as minor in uh, Oregon. Um, it also would open the entire registry of medical marijuana growers. Oh, I forgot to preempt this with, and here is the, the biggest part of this, <laughs> this potential bill here. Uh, it would it would also open the entire registry of medical marijuana growers to police four times a year, regardless of whether they're investigating a crime. Whoa. So I've been looking into this a little more, and I can't find any reason why that could possibly, why that would be... <laughs> 
implemented why that would be i don't understand how that would be considered a positive thing and why four times a year what the hell is that all about and why in the hell do we care (laughs) what former state troopers think about making who who should qualify Uh, for a medical marijuana card well i mean shouldn't we care about like doctors potentially exactly right Sounds yeah, like, you know, like I'm a pro basketball player talking baseball and telling you what you should do with your baseball team. I'm not sure, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't like that. <laughs> I think that's crazy. Yeah, so we'll see what's up. I mean, I mean, they use these big numbers. And all my, you know how they say things all magnanimously, like more than 38,000 Oregonians hold medical marijuana patient cards. Ooh, it's like, you know enter the big psycho music soundtrack but uh really that's only one percent of the population if you just say it that way it's a lot more innocuous oh yeah and and remember i remember we covered a story in oregon several months back where a lady actually was talking on a clip and she was talking about yes we have thirty-eight thousand oregonians with medical cards but there, that's only X amount of how many people actually could qualify for it. And the amount of people that could actually qualify for it is way higher than that. So not everyone takes advantage of it just because they qualify for a medical marijuana card by any means. Right. So Right. I like Oregon. We'll see. Anyway, that's what's happened to that. On their side of the fence, uh, not so good news up in uh, Washington State, correct? Still some friction in Spokane. Yeah, just a quick more, mention here. Yeah, the DEA has been back uh, busting one more um, uh, dispensary. Um, medical, medical herb, herb providers, providers, yeah. yeah. Um, in Spokane, again. Um, nowhere else, just Spokane. Um, Jeez, that's bullshit. Yeah, and it's pretty, much, were, it's pretty much the same old. What's that? They arrested one dude or one employee. They didn't say whether they haven't mentioned the name or anything, but they, one person oh, was they, arrested. Oh, they actually arrested him, huh? Mm-hmm. They did arrest someone. That's what the manager of medical herb provider reported. So someone was arrested, and um, yeah, uh, they, this is just this is ongoing. How many? How we? This is God. This is like four or five weeks now. Seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including the the initial threats from the uh, the attorney uh, attorney general. Yeah, solicited by their governor. Yeah. More news in Washington. Uh, King County and Seattle um, officials and prosecutors um, have asked Olympia, the, the state legislature, to uh, fix medical marijuana laws. Um, basically, what happened recently was uh, the governor, Chris Gregoire's, uh vetoed after it was so they were pushing a bill through that had a bunch of stuff to regulate the dispensary, uh, to regulate the business aspect of medical marijuana, regulate the growing, regulate the how dispensaries operated, who could open dispensaries under what guidelines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they were try- just trying to regulate the business of, mar- of medical marijuana in Washington. While they were um, doing this um, is when the Attorney General's office starts sending those letters out to the states warning them and th- that's when uh, the governor of Washington said she will not put any of her legislatures in, you know, jeopardy <laughs> of being arrested or whatever. And so she decided to Period. veto like almost everything in the bill, right? Except for like a couple of things that didn't really regulate, that didn't really do much to regulation. So the, the these prosecutors and officials in King County and Seattle have basically. Um, are asking or sent a, a letter 
to the state telling them to move quickly on another bill and to get over it. And that if they don't get over it, uh, they individually in counties and, you know, and, and, in their, their local areas have to determine whether or not they're just going to start prosecuting everyone that's in the business or they're not going to prosecute anyone and let them just open up like wildfire. So they're urging Olympia to act on the matter and not, you know, kind of step, kind of not, you know, bow down to the federal government's intimidation tactics and that regulating, regulating the business of medical marijuana in Washington, uh, they, they believe is more important than, than being scared by some threats from the federal government. So, but, uh, yeah, that's, um, basically what's going on in Washington. Kind of a crazy scene. We could have Washington mayhem. It sounds like right now, like they've, Whoa. you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Sounds like it. And like, man, it's unfortunate. I feel bad for the folks in Spokane for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you guys have any, um, opinions on the matters we've discussed so far, or anything for that matter, please, uh, Feel free to um, send us your questions, comments, whatever. Send them in. Uh, info at CannabisAgenda.com is email, or you can call and leave a th- up to a three-minute message at uh, 707-654-CAN, which is C-A-N-N, or the number is 2266. Uh, real quick, we're going to um, get to a couple of uh, the questions and comments from our listeners this week. Bunch Billy Boy sent us a message this week saying, Hi, I'm from Pinellas County, which is Tampa, Florida. Uh, we, were, we did it <laughs> basically real quick. Last week, we were trying to figure out where the hell Pasco was. And he says, Pasco is about 20 miles northeast of Tampa, and we call it Trashco here. (laughs) 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 Great show, guys. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thanks, buddy. We appreciate it, man. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a a bad, like, bus, too. No, that was this, but is it sophisticated story or something? Some ridiculousness Mm -hmm. from Pasco. Um, what Chubbs have to say? Mm. Got an email. Oh man, we got one from. We got an email from Chubbs from Albany. Uh, he said that he's a big advocate for medical cannabis. From personal experience, cannabis helps him really calm down and be more laid back. He said, uh, but he has a real problem with all the recent Supreme Court cases. Ring any any bells uh, lately that take away uh, natural amendment rights from the American people just because they enjoy great ganja. He's uh, cited, for example, the recent case of Kentucky versus King that we featured earlier in this program, uh, where now the police can knock down your door because they say they smell some weed or, or hear you scurrying. They hear the scurry of destroying evidence. <laughs> Go ahead. Give it a challenge. Uh, define that as you will. So anyway, we appreciate that, Chubbs. Thanks for listening, man. Thanks for the kind comments. Yeah. And he um, asked us to too at the end. He said, considering Prop 215 is criticized for being loosely worded, is that irony or complete horse crap? What do you think? Huh. Um, is it, is it irony? What do what the, I, don't I don't know what, what he means by irony, but by just, that, I guess let's just go with, do you think it is loosely worded or not? Do you think, I it, think it, it, it is? Sh- do you think it think should, it, is, it has room for criticism for being loosely worded or not? I think it is loosely worded, but I think it's somewhat intentional. And I think that if they knew then what they knew now, no, now they might have done it a little differently. But they would have made hopefully safeguards to to keep a wide berth around our freedoms. You know, we really need to protect the freedoms. You can't make this stuff really uh, 
restrictive and 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 really tight you can't do that because you're going to start impeding on people's liberties and freedoms and that's i mean that's the that's a losing situation whenever that occurs it's it's ineffective legislation ineffective laws whenever that's happening that's contrary to what's supposed to be to be an american citizen it's it's definitely somewhat loosely worded um but um I think I'm kind of happy that it is that it worked out that way because now you see states going, well, we don't want to have to. What's going to if we don't just go ahead and make our own laws and make them as strict as we want, we're going to end up uh, passing. You know, the voters will pass an initiative that's loosely that's you know loosely written, so they kind of try to clean it up. And it's kind of worked. It's worked out in, in California. I mean, there's been a lot. You know, there's been a lot of turmoil. Uh, and chaos because of it, um, because it's it's been difficult to regulate, but uh, it's it's kind of working itself out for the most part. Um, speaking of, I think California, they got a bad rap personally. Yeah, and I don't think they, they, get, they, a, got the they get a bad they rap from the national media, but they don't. We don't get like a terrible rap from like you know medical uh, marijuana advocates. So Cali, um, they got the ball of rolling, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, from the national news, we get a really bad, bad rap. But it, I mean, it was, it is written pretty loosely. So that's just the truth. So, um, but speaking of California and laws in California, uh, looks like we've got a couple stories this week. Um, what's up with AB ten seventeen? Oh yeah, AB ten seventeen. Well, actually, it's a reduced penalty law. What it'll do is, uh, well, just to explain it briefly, existing law uh, now requires that every person who plants, cultivates, harvests, dries, or processes any marijuana or any part thereof, except as other otherwise provided by law, which would be like medical exemption, um, will be punished by imprisonment in the state prison. Um, this bill would make that crime punishable by imprisonment in a county jail for a period of not more than one year or by imprisonment in the state prison. So by changing the penalty for the crime to authorize imprisonment in the county in a county jail, the bill would impose a state-mandated local program. Um, the California no. Constitution requires the, the state to reimburse local agencies and school districts for certain costs mandated by the state. Statutory provisions establish procedures for making that reimbursement. This bill would provide that no reimbursement is required by this act for a specified reason. So it makes it, it gives them a little bit more uh, sentencing freedom. Right, and um, so you can put people. Now you don't have to put people in jail if you. If it's possible to put people through. Uh, program, and this bill would make it possible still to put, put people, people through a program. Yeah, they would put them in jail. It would just be on a local county jail program. So okay, so this would be putting them in a county jail, not in a state jail. Yes, but not, I mean, it's okay. But I mean, not everybody that does that goes to state prison. But I mean, I guess it, it, the possibility that you could is there. So now they could decide. Now they could keep you in your county instead of sending you to. If they determine you need jail time, then they could make the decision to keep you in the county, basically. Or it definitely would it definitely keep you in the county. I think so. I think that's how it's written. Looks yeah. sounds like you step in the right direction uh, so far. But we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. I want to see whenever they start releasing all these prisoners, how many are just like pot releases. Can you imagine they release 30,000 prisoners and only like a small percentage of them are, <laughs> are drug, drug offenses? <laughs> all those guys are still in there. 
Let's, uh, I'm interested to see what your take is on this next story, dude. That's um, sweetening yeah, the, the ta- tax issues in, in San Jose. This is a Forbes story and uh, blog out of Forbes, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. I thought it was kind of down your alley. You can take a go at this one if you'd like to. Um, no, pretty you, simple stuff. You got it. and we'll, Yeah, we'll go with it after you, you got this thing. Wow. The gist of is the gist of it is that uh, taxing medical marijuana has reaped benefits, financial benefits, those uh, uh, specifically being uh, for San Jose, California. Um, according to the Sacramento Bee, San Jose is reaping rewards from taxing medical marijuana collectives. Recent figures from the finance department indicate that the new seven percent tax brought oh in two hundred two hundred ninety thousand in the first month the tax was imposed. Oh Annualized, my that's God, nearly uh, three and a half milski. Uh, not a bad way to put a dent in the city's hundred and fifteen million dollar budget deficit. So way to pay, cool. way, you know who pays that tax, right? Patients. Patients pay that tax. And, I mean, they pay sales tax, too. So it's gotten, wow, dude. That's a lot of money. So Okay, so the benefit, what's the benefit then? Um, (laughs) The benefit is is they're they're making money off of it? Sweet. (laughs) It benefits the deficit. That's the benefit. Um, People are so scared of a big boot stepping on their neck. You know, and some badge flashing in their eyeballs because <laughs> you're using their medicine that they're just like, please tax us. Make it legitimate. Tax us. Some of them it's are, like, yeah, and some of them aren't. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's funny that, you know, I mean, it's just one of the things that I, if I was, if I was a, happened to be a dispensary owner in a city where they were discussing this, I wouldn't want like, I mean, sales, as we know, sales tax is debatable with marijuana because sales tax on prescription drugs is not allowed, but sales tax Mm -hmm. on over-the-counter drugs is allowed, and it's kind of murky whether or not marijuana is closer to a over-the-counter or a prescription drug. Uh, It's kind of in between the two. So, okay, let's just say sales tax or let's just for sake of argument say sales tax are legit, but then like Ex- other excise taxes on top of marijuana just because why well because it's it's like they you're basically yeah. tr- treating it like alcohol and tobacco and justifying that by the potential harm that marijuana cart causes but as far as we can tell we can't find the potential harm at least right. in relation to tobacco and alcohol so no way um, yeah nowhere near it. you know yeah so i don't know uh, I don't know. Okay, good for San Jose. At least they're working on their budget woes. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're making some yeah. bucks. <laughs> yeah, let's move on to the Rocky Mountain High. I got one quick Colorado story. It looks like in Colorado, um, the movement has started to uh, for legislation for a legalization vote in 2012. Potbackers have filed eight initiatives with the state aimed at legalizing marijuana. All the initiatives ask voters in 2012 to legalize the use and possession of up to an uh, up to an ounce or less um, of marijuana for those 21 and older, and uh, they would be allowed to set up a state regulatory structure for the for the retail sales of pot. Um, if uh, approved by voters, the initiative would also allow people to legally grow up to six marijuana plants. Um, the initiatives all specify, however, that they would not permit the public consumption of marijuana. So, 
here's where uh, here's where we are in Colorado. That's it, it's happening now. Um, I was thinking about this just the other day. I was like, I wonder when. You know, it's getting closer and closer to to 2012. I wonder when some of these movements for these um, these voter initiatives are, are going to start going rolling. And, and here you go, in Colorado looks like go. that might be awesome. Might be the yeah, they might be the first one to uh, get something officially on the ballot. So um, election time's getting closer. Everyone, uh, it's crazy to think that that like we're act like <laughs> it's May of 2011. And if you know enough about uh, an election, it's it's like already getting close to an election. <laughs> you know, isn't, like, that, isn't that crazy? Yeah, before they start is. spending unprecedented billions of dollars on the whole election process, it's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you know the the system that we have to deal with to get policy changes made and to get just anywhere in this fight for sensible drug policies. Uh, and cannabis specific policies is just it's ludicrous but in some places <laughs> like brazil you can get shot at just for coming out and protesting or or you know speaking your mind so i think we should probably take a look at that sometimes at how fortunate we are in this country to a point you know what i mean what is that? The lesser mm-hmm. of two evils, but that's a seriously e- way evil or more evil evil. <laughs> Whenever they just walk up to you, go fuck you, they all start blasting you with shotguns. That's horrifying. But you know that's exactly what just happened in Brazil. There was a, a march for marijuana. It's the you know that big uh, global marijuana march that was part of that stuff. Um, cannabis advocates in Brazil's largest city had agreed with police to protest instead in defense of freedom of expression. But minutes after allowing the march, the military police brutally attacked the unarmed demonstrators with stun bombs, tear, gra- steer, uh, tear gas, and rubber bullets, which I've never, I've never been hit with any of those things. Have you? Yet. No. Not, no. Yeah. Mm-mm. Thankfully. No. I heard those rubber bullets are just wicked awful, so hopefully I will never have that uh, personal experience to draw on. But, uh, about a thousand people showed up for this rally uh, last Saturday in Sao Paulo's um, financial heart. Television images showed riot troops charging toward the protesters when they tried to march down the busy uh, Paulista Avenue. They, uh, they, the dudes just started like opening fire on them. It's really crazy. Four of the protesters were arrested. Um, I don't know. It never it never explains in some type of a police like action like this. It never explains how many people were shot with these things or any <laughs> any of the details of how much damage it did. Because man, this stuff, those nonviolent ta- control tactics or whatever they call them, are really wicked violent stuff. You know, stun guns. Well, those are those are awesome. Woof. Yeah, uh, it, it, uh, and, and I mean they are lethal sometimes too. But <laughs> dude. Yep. Nope. I dodge rubber bullets. It's it's a it's a skill. It's on my resume. <laughs> try yeah. anyway. hang down with that. I run from them as fast as I can. I know. I I try not to hang Fuckers. out where they're being while dead. I'm yelling. I yell and run at the same time. Fuckers, jackasses, you suck. Yeah. Fucker. Yeah. I try to stay away <laughs> from tasers, smoke bombs, and, and and rubber bullets, and and real bullets for that matter, and bombs and anything violent like that. But uh, you know, uh, sometimes they break. They bring it to you. So. 
<laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, that, that's it's just a this is so this is just from a, a pot protest basically. Um, yeah. So they cracked down pretty hard on pot down there in Brazil. Yeah, well, they cracked down on that whole idea about the pot protest in a general sense, and they said, "Well, okay, well, we're going to do we're going to do it still, but we're going to do it about freedom of expression," because they just told them they couldn't talk about pot really, and that's what was going on with it. And then they said, "Oh yeah, well, fuck you," and basically popped them right in the face, right in the mouth. Jeez. Well, it's too bad they're not allowed to talk about pot. We're allowed to talk about pot, kind of, it seems like. We do our best to talk about pot as often as we can. And uh, apparently some of you guys like our discussions on cannabis. Um, We're going to take a break here and thank everybody for uh, listening to the show. Um, And just want to let everyone know, I would mention at the top of the show, but we've we've been trying to find supporters, and we have them now. Um, Our first donor was uh, King Closet. And he made a, a monthly subscription of four dollars and twenty cents um, to the show. We really, really appreciate the help. Uh, he said, "Great show," which was episode fifty-nine. Uh, so many great pieces: Latin America, the big idiot, Huckabee, Montana. Um, could you comment on how hard drugs are a better comparison to gambling than cannabis? Also, are there any federal cases coming up that challenges the Schedule One status of cannabis? Um, thanks for the great shows. I am proud to subscribe to Cannabis Agenda. Thanks, dude. Oh, First awesome. of all, we really, really appreciate cool. the donation. Um, it's a big deal for us. We've been been donating our time to this show for over a year now, close to a year and a half. And um, we really, really could use everybody's help. And you're our first donor. So you are the man. Thank you very much. So what do you think? What do you think about, uh, could you comment on his, his question there? Can you comment on how hard drugs are better comparison to gambling than cannabis? Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting question actually. And I can, I think, first of all, Casey, thanks dude for the, the, uh, Financial help there. Um, I think that hard drugs are have a penchant to draw you away from your control, your self control, and you can get into a really bad uh, situation. I mean, I don't know who can argue that that's not the that's not a, a huge potential for like a habitual crack user or, or heroin, um, meth. I mean. That it can really mess you up, and I, I think in a way, uh, it doesn't like physically dissolve you as much, but in a way, it's kind of like you get carried away with gambling, and you start, man, people like access all of their finances, like oh, bonds yeah. and all kinds of stuff in their college, their kids' college funds, and <laughs> Christmas funds, and everything, and just. Whoosh, it's just a horrible thing, and I think that and it can happen. It can happen like on a bench. It can happen on a binge too of gambling or hard yeah. drug use. It's in either yeah. one of them, you could not have like a habitual problem, and then you could go and just get out of control with it really fast and and spend all your money and go in the hole and lose a lot of your friendships and relationships super quick. Um, yeah, you know, and cannabis and the difference, the standing, the 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 big standout difference there is that cannabis does not do any of those either of those things. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, and um, there's probably a lot more comparisons there too. You know, very, very interesting um, question though. Um, and then, as far as federal challenges to Schedule One status, I don't think there are any federal challenges other than what we mentioned um, up at the top of the show. Yeah, the 
the, um, which is the petition to the DEA, which has been just kind of sitting there for eight years. So we'll see if that moves forward and we will definitely keep you updated on that. But man, Hey, we really appreciate the donation, man. Thank you so much. Um, we also got a few more donations this week. Cole from Pennsylvania donated 42 bucks. Thank you. Uh, You're the man. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we got a $4 and 20 cents donation from Philip in Arkansas. Thanks, Philip. And um, we got another monthly subscription from Michael. Uh, I'm not sure where you're from, Michael, but because uh, because PayPal doesn't tell us any of that info on our subscriptions for some reason, which is probably cool, actually. Um, but um, we we really appreciate it, no matter where you are. So thank you for um, your subscription. Um, and uh, if you guys, uh, any of you guys out there listening that haven't donated, or um, it. Please, if you could help us out, we'd really appreciate it. Anything you could do to help us would be great. Uh, consider um, subscribing at $4.20 uh, per month if you can. That'd be awesome. Or just make a one-time contribution of whatever you can afford. Um, <laughs> what were you saying, Jamie, earlier? Um, at the, before we started the show, you said we're looking for... What were we looking for? We're looking for our uh, first uh, super sugar daddy, right? Sugar Daddy, Mike, 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 Mike. That's what I want. I want mics. It's big, warm, good, warm-sounding, awesome mics. That's what we win. So we need a sugar mama or a sugar daddy out there to help us get some, <laughs> some mics. Yeah, we're gonna try to, you know, get some better equipment and um, get the sound produced and uh, get the show. Uh, and, you know, increase the production value of the show and everything. We have to have the so. sound. I think particularly on this program. We, in this specific context, we need to have the sound to be really clear and pl- and easy to listen to and really easy to articulate and and not grating on people and just so we can get get on to the most important part, which is actually the message and the content and the, and the discussions that we sure uh, you know. yeah definitely um, that's that's you know it, it it helps us out here helps the show flow better when our technology uh works more efficiently i mean it, it's and just in general i mean you know like this this show for it to survive it's gonna have to bring in money i mean that's realistic, realistic you know over over the long term so um anything you can do to help us out we really really appreciate it um and uh everyone that has donated over the last uh, since the last show Thank you guys so much. It's uh, it's, it's going to help us out. So um, let's get this ball rolling again. Um, straight into really important stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Topics worth barely oh. any of our time. Yeah, that didn't. Oh, that was, yeah, at that one. That crazy, mysterious packages show up at people's houses. That's where we're at. We got a clip for this. <laughs> yeah, here it is. For the second time in two weeks, a mysterious delivery in Upper Darby has a resident calling police. Another five-pound package of marijuana arrived at a home where it was not expected. NBC10's David Hall is live in Upper Darby with the details. David, what do we know? Yes, good afternoon, Tracy. These boxes of marijuana showed up at houses about a mile apart from each other. And i got to tell you, neighbors out here, some of them are pretty concerned about this. I think it's happening everywhere. You know, I'm just happy that we uh, we were lucky enough to... uh 
get it off the street. For the second time in a week, Upper Darby police seized a box with five pounds of marijuana inside. This one was delivered from Tempe, Arizona, and ended up at a house along Keystone Avenue yesterday. The homeowners immediately called police, who came and seized it. Once we got through the paper towels, we found more cellophane that had been dipped in motor oil. Then once we got through that, there was more cellophane than the trash bag and then the marijuana. This detective captain, George Rhodes, explains is how this package was able to make it this far. With this package, they went to great lengths to conceal the odor, uh, the scent of the marijuana, just in case a uh, police canine uh, was to do a check. Last week, an elderly couple about a mile away also received a five-pound box of marijuana shipped from Arizona to their home. Police also seized it. Neighbors are in disbelief. It's so scary that that, um, um, a package from Arizona just... The thought is that we had children in this neighborhood is... As for this box of pot, we'll hold on to what is evidence for a period of time. Uh, we've contacted federal authorities to see if the address uh, locations would uh, interact with any investigations that they are conducting now. Uh, if not, it'll be destroyed. Okay. Now, police aren't certain if these two incidents are related. However, they are still investigating. And the street value for the second box of marijuana is right around $22,000. Reporting live in Upper Darby, I'm David Hall, NBC10 News. That's that's like a realistic estimate for five pounds of pot. I want to a box of marijuana. Wherever that might be. Right. Um, what, do you, what do you think, though? A little bit irresponsible to send your pot to the wrong place, <clears throat> slightly. Yeah, dude. You know what I want to ask? What I want to ask is, who in the hell would call and go, "Hey, I got I got a thirty-one pound brick of weed here. Could you go pick it up?" <laughs> I would be like screaming, <laughs> like I just got that that publisher clearinghouse thing. <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be literally going, "Yeah, woo, yeah." My neighbors be going, what in the world's going on over there? I won. But 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 Jamie, you have children in your neighborhood, and just the thought that they got <laughs> sent to your house with children in your neighborhood. Of being delighted of getting a giant brick of weed for free. Damn it. Damn me in my evilness. You're so <laughs> evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, uh. Okay, now, uh, now getting that I think for it's free slightly in the mail and then bagging to, it up uh, in small quantities to hand out to children, like a like a Halloween giveaway. No, that's bad and evil, a whole different story. But nobody's even talking about anything like that. Right? You know what I mean, I mean, do, do liqu- liquids can be sent in the mail, right? Are liquids allowed to be sent in the mail? Yeah, I think so. You might have to tell so them you, that you have liquids, but yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you can send booze. So surely this happens with booze all the time too. Hmm. I don't know. I don't I know what the policy is for booze and all that stuff. I mean, that, maybe that changed probably, too. Probably not twenty two thousand dollars worth of booze gets sent to the wrong house. But I mean, you know, like bottles of booze. Because I mean, if they're talking about children potentially being, you know, like kids picking this up or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just one of those things where they go. It's like. Oh my God, marijuana! It's not a just it being there is bad for children. <laughs> you know, it's like not even it's not even them consuming it or selling it or buying it. It's like it just being present is they're, bad for children. They're present, yeah. They were children you know? present. <gasps> <laughs> There's a bag of weed in that house, and there are children that live next door. 
It's terrible. Yeah, there's a bag of weed. You should go to prison for three years, and there are children present. 23 years. Because there were children present. Uh-huh. It's, let's move on to some. The let's move on to some children. realistic stuff here. Let's see what do we got for this next one. This is just flows right off of that. Oh, it's so bad for children. But what? Rape opponents are pushing the for pot to be the replacement for alcohol, right? Well, it's not That's not actually that, not actually that simple. They're not saying, "Hey, look, smoke some weed." You know, they're just saying that it's a <laughs> it's a much more sensible. Uh, pastime or you know substance to imbibe in than than alcohol well basically what they're what they're going about here and it's a it's a 20 year old texas tech sophomore from amarillo texas um she was using uh april's uh sexual assault awareness month to drum up local support for the women's marijuana movement which we've covered you know the mason tavert started out in denver but uh anyway she uh she wants to really highlight the fact that um, the number one date, date rape drug uh, by far is alcohol. I mean, nobody's disputing that. I mean, so many date rapes and, and so many other kind of uh, sexual assaults uh, happen uh, or that happen um, involve alcohol. It's just reality about it, you know? And uh, so they're trying to highlight that and just trying to, you know, I don't. I haven't really heard of a lot of uh, rapes happening because you know causally connected with like smoking ganja. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't heard of any. I don't think. I haven't heard of any. You know, I've heard of dozens, if not hundreds, of them. You know, uh, that involved alcohol. Right. So it's upsetting. Right. But it's. it's so anyway, I mean, it's. it's, it's yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, if it it. it, it, it basically flows right with safer's message and and um you know uh i don't know i just think that's i it just happened to be weird that we had it right after the that the random pot package and them freaking out about children <laughs> you know being around children it's like well look how much booze is around your children you know and like maybe maybe but, you don't have any in your house but your neighbors have it and it's being sent through the mail and available all over the place too it's around um, children are present it, Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, we're gonna get to some serious stuff here. It looks like it's time for uh, death at the hands oh. of uh, drug law enforcement in 2011. Yeah, this is one. Actually, this is one that we did cover uh, last week. Um, in our when we 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 told you we we're gonna be covering this uh, through stopthedrugwar.org. Um, it's a great thing we think they're doing. Um, but this this one uh, we felt deserved a little bit extra uh, attention. It caught our eye that uh, this gentleman, this particular gentleman, was a Marine Corps veteran who just did two tours in Iraq um, uh, serving his country. And he came back and got got shot by SWAT team members. Um, Not necessarily even actively defending his household. He just was going to find out what the hell was happening Um, because he heard all this rustling and stuff happening out there. So anyway, the story's on there. You guys can look through this one. I don't know. It's pretty depressing stuff, kind of. Um, Jose Guarina, is that? Do you think I said that right? I didn't uh, use too much Guarina injustice. Yeah, I I don't know. But either way, it's a that's a just super crappy story, and we're gonna keep following these stories, and they're pretty much always gonna be super crappy because they deal with death. So. Shitty for that guy. I can't believe that. So he, 
he did two tours and then got capped in his own house by government people. Sucks. Yeah, well, they <laughs> shot like 71 bullets. Jeez. Um, they said Whoa. they said that the sheriff's department maintained that uh, he, this uh, Gorena was holding an AR-15 when the paramilitary force uh, fired 71 bullets into his home. Uh, but other key parts of the government story have collapsed. Um, well, PCSD initially claimed Gorena fired the weapon he was alleged to have been holding. The department now says it was a misfire by one of the deputies that caused this deadly group panic inside a home containing a woman and a toddler. A deputy's bullet struck the side of the doorway, causing chips of wood to fall on his shield. That prompted some members of the team to think the deputy had been shot, P, uh, PCSD spokesman Michael O'Connor said. So a chip of wood fell on a guy's yeah. shield. Yeah. And uh, they, they thought, holy shit, they shot Chuck. Apparently, uh, they uh, on his AK, it was AR, AR is that what it was? Uh, AR-15. AR-15, yeah, the safety was on when they found it. Yeah. So he didn't yeah, fire yeah. it. He oh, never man. even unloaded. He didn't even turn off the yeah. safety. And they right. fired and 71. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. They lit it's him up. up. And, you know, and it just gets worse and worse. Like They didn't let him get help for like an hour and 14 minutes. They prevented paramedics from going to work on him. He lasted that long? With 71 bullets yeah. in them? Uh, yeah, well, actually, uh, they fired 71 bullets in, at him. They didn't all go in him. Oh. But, uh, yeah, he was in really bad shape. And uh, he's badly injured. And uh, he was on the floor for an hour and 14 minutes, which is pretty nuts. Jeez. I mean, a computer check on uh, Garena revealed a, a couple of traffic tickets and no criminal history. So, another one for the books. Thank you, SWAT. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. That's mis- Let's that's move exactly on to some more potentially some potential good news from that because that's that's tough stuff there. <laughs> um, yeah, East Coast scoop. positivity. Uh, uh, this is potentially positive Take here. Take us out east. Uh, huh? Take us out east. We got some some going on out there that's good. Yeah, yeah. In Connecticut, um, there was a there's been two measures. Um, one of them, which would have decriminalized the possession of small amounts of marijuana uh, in Connecticut, uh, appears to be losing steam. However, a bill to legalize the use of pot for medicinal purposes is moving ahead. The medical marijuana bill cleared uh, another key committee, which was the finance committee, um, in a 32 to 14 vote Tuesday afternoon, and it, um, uh, it, it has already received uh, the endorsements of the Public Health and Judiciary Committee. So now it's passed three committees in the state of um, Connecticut, and it has drawn some uh, some Republican support. Um, it now will go to the Senate for a vote, um, and uh, it would prevent the uh, state from prosecuting people for possession of marijuana if they had a written cert- uh, certification from their doctor. Um, says that they were allowed to use it. Uh, the patient would need to be certified as having a debilitating condition such as cancer, glaucoma, AIDS, Parkinson's disease, or MS. And um, the bill would allow the possession of up to one ounce uh, per, per patient and up to four plants, provided that the plants are no taller than four feet tall. I don't know about their growing rules, but 
Um, in uh, 2007, Governor M. Jody Rell vetoed a medical marijuana bill, and uh, this year's bill um, has the support of Governor Daniel um, P. Malloy. So, Malloy. Uh-huh. Malloy. So, um, yeah, uh, they're moving forward with, uh, they could be number 17, it looks like, and um, in Connecticut. We'll yeah. follow up on it. Yeah. Plus one. Cool. Yeah, uh-huh. man, I'm all for it. Plus five. Let's go. Twenty-seven. Yeah, they're, they're they're rolling in. I mean, it's kind of. I think it's unfortunate. It's fortunate and unfortunate. One of the reasons they're starting to roll in from the legislatures is they're realizing, well, if we put these laws on the books, then it won't ever get some loose law won't ever get voted on by the public. So, to some degree, it's like good that we're passing these laws, but to some degree, it's also kind of. You know, because they're trying to make them so strict, like four plants and they must be under four feet tall. So if you come over to someone's house and they have four plants, but one of them happens to be four feet and seven inches, like, are you going to prosecute them? You know? And I mean, I don't know. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff they put into these things of when, when it's, when they're done by the legislators, but, um, Hey, uh, I, we will take it right. Any sort of uh, step towards incrementalism is the way that we, I think, the whole cookie crumbles because ultimately we're just trying to convince the feds that they got to change. They've got to change Schedule One status, and that's what once medical marijuana is in all fifty states, um, at some point you just can't deny. They won't be able to deny the fact that marijuana has medicinal uses. So we're working our way towards that. I reckon, right? Uh huh. Mm hmm. That's the goal, um, buddy. That's the goal. I'm hearing yawns over there. What's going on with you? You're not caffeinated today? I'm up. Yeah, no, I'm good. Well, you know what? I I, had, I, I usually don't drink soda or pop or I don't know what they call it in various parts of the world. But uh, I, I had some Pepsi today. I did. and did. I, and uh, it's just not the same. I don't know. It's not the same like what, you're not the same <sighs> as coffee. Well, first of all, there's tons of sugar, and I usually don't like <laughs> ingest a lot of sugar and crap like that. But uh, this is just like a huge, it's just loaded with, it's just liquid sugar is what it is mostly. So that's different than coffee. And I don't, I don't know how much, I don't know what the caffeine, does Pepsi have more caffeine than coffee? I don't think so. It doesn't make me feel like it does anyway. So, yeah, I'm just, uh, just recouping, man. I'm keeping up okay, though, so far. Am I? Yeah. Yeah, you are. I just heard I just heard a I just heard a yawn, dude, and I figured, what's going on over there? What's happening, Jamie? (laughs) Oh, that happens, man. No, it happens. But hey, let's uh let's go to Rhode Island for some positive news, shall we? Rhode Island judge recently ruled in a case decided earlier this month, uh, a Rhode Island uh, Superior Court judge has dismissed marijuana cultivation and distribution and weapons possession charges against a registered medical marijuana patient. The state had argued that even if someone is a legal medical marijuana patient, he cannot possess a firearm. It's now deciding whether it will appeal the judge's ruling. Uh, Dean Durabio, the patient registered with the state, and his roommate and registered caregiver, Joseph Joubert, were arrested in January of of, uh, 2010 on charges of conspiracy to possess marijuana with the intent to sell it. Jarabio, who legally owned a 9mm handgun found in his nightstand, was also charged with carrying a dangerous weapon while committing a crime of violence. 
the crime of violence was growing marijuana, <laughs> according to prosecutors and police. See, this this is why these laws are so very important. Well, in, in a large part, this is why. Um, that charge carries a mandatory minimum three-year prison sentence, uh, by the way. Under, under Rhode Island's 2006 medical marijuana law, a patient can grow or possess specified amounts of marijuana. The law does not mention guns, nor does it impose a limit on how many caregivers a patient t- can designate. Jarabio had two, uh, Joubert and Joubert's mother. Superior Court Judge Robert Krauss noted these omissions when he threw out the charges earlier this month. He said, in my opinion, uh, Judge Krauss said, this is a poorly drafted statute. And I don't know, oh, and I, and I don't think a defendant ought to be criminally liable for inartful draftsmanship, which was awesome when I read that. Did you read the story? I loved it when he said that. I want to say that again. <laughs> inartful, inartful draftsmanship. It's poorly written legislation. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's slick, man. Good. Yeah, hats off to uh, Judge Krause for that one. It was slick. But uh, he also rejected the state's contention that Drubio could still be uh, perched on gun charges, even if the court found he legally possessed both pot and the pistol. The following exchange between Krauss uh, and Special Assistant Attorney General uh, Michael McCarthy reported by the Providence, Providence Journal is very illustrative. Um, this uh, story you can check out on our site. Um, it's from StopTheDrugWar.org, by the way, and their uh, infamous Drug War Chronicle, which I'm always uh, touting. But uh, the exchange goes, if I were there, if I were to find there was nothing unlawful about what these defendants had done by way of the medical marijuana statute and that they were within the framework of the statute and did not exceed the amount of plants that are authorized, would you still pursue the prosecution of the gun charge? Krauss asked. With all due respect, Your Honor, I would, McCarthy said. He explained that he would prosecute it under a law that says you cannot legally grow marijuana while being in possession of a firearm. Quote, and your honor, if you are cultivating marijuana and if you are in possession of a firearm, even though the law has stated you can grow marijuana, it is silent as to whether or not you can possess a firearm, McCarthy said. If you meet the requirements, if you have possession of plants that are within the legal limit under this Marijuana Act, and if you have a firearm at home and you're not a convicted felon, both of these are legal. Yes, Krauss asked. Yes, McCarthy said. But nonetheless, you claim it's criminal conduct, Krauss said as is being intoxicated in possession of a firearm, McCarthy says. And Judge Krauss uh, just wasn't buying the argument, says the story, uh, nor did he agree with the state's contention that 33 plants grown by Joubert and his mother were outside the limits of the law. The Rhode Island law limits caregivers to 24 plants, but does not limit the number of caregivers a, pa- a patient may have. So with those two, that would be probably uh, what I would assume 48 plants. But anyway, um, the statute doesn't make it unlawful for two caregivers to have the same patient, does it? Krauss said, adding, what a wonderfully drafted statute we have. I don't know who drafted this thing. So he's really, this judge was really kind of poo-pooing the whole, uh, where would that go? Inartful draftsmanship of this legislation. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool to see that uh, judges are you know, kind of standing up. Chalk one up for Rhode Island medical marijuana patients. It's good news. It's kind of positive, man. Sure. Right? Yeah, and then we're getting. Do we, yeah, now we got. Uh, what we got here? Some you got. You got. We got. You got to be kidding me. Um, and this is a this is an East Coast story too. Um, 
So is that, this about a dispenser? Yeah, the first the first dispensary is open on the East Coast in Maine, in Frenchville, Maine. And uh, the people are freaking out about all the violence it's going to cause, oh. like we were talking about earlier. Fear. And, Uncertainty. Uh, we've got a we've got Fear. a clip. We've got a clip to play of that, so uh, here it is. Cameron Price, a father of four elementary aged children, lives less than a mile away from Safe Alternatives, the new medicinal marijuana dispensary. The facility, which looks like any other house on the block, is not what he expected. When I first saw the place, I kind of chuckled. And then when I read in local media that it was, quote, a state-of-the-art high-security growing facility, um, <laughs> I laughed out loud because I've seen it. And when I think of state-of-the-art high-security, I think of security fence, security cameras, security guards, at the very least a watchdog. Um, to me, this place, other than the lack of windows, it doesn't look any different than, well, a non-sanctioned dispensary. Maine law regulates marijuana dispensaries and growing facilities. They're required to have a security system including cameras and exterior lighting, which Safe Alternatives has. They must also be at least 500 feet away from schools, and marijuana cultivation must take place in an enclosed locked facility. Still, the town of Frenchville is working on a proposed ordinance that would be stricter than existing state law. The, the board of selectmen was looking out for the best interests of the town of Frenchville, and, uh, and also safe alternatives. So we'd like to reach a, a you know, level ground between both parties. When we tried to talk to Lou Trudell, the co-director and principal officer of Safe Alternatives, about the facility, he refused to answer questions, saying, quote, to be perfectly honest, the media has really done nothing but play us against each other, and I'm done playing this game. People like Price, who live near the facility, hope to get more answers about security, and soon. I'm sure that Safe Alternatives would assure me that it's very safe and secure, and I ha don't have to worry about um, the marijuana getting into the wrong hands. But I'm sure that the Japanese people receive the same insurances about uh, nuclear power plants. So I'm just not convinced. Frenchville Whoa. residents will have a chance to have their questions answered at a public hearing in May. In Frenchville, Jackie Ward, News Center. What an idiot. That wow. We just had marijuana compared to, nu to nuclear meltdowns. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> That's well, a false. I don't know false. how to even connect those two. False analogy if I've ever heard one. Mental um, nuclear meltdown. Maybe a little cannabis could help you out. Jeez, uh, dude. Um, I mean, you know, I think I think any place that has a lot of money worth of of you know consumer products and money and equipment should be protected fairly well. But I think the guy. I think that guy's a little bit. A little bit paranoid, perhaps, you know. Um, I mean, what's he think his kid's gonna go rob the dispensary or something? Yeah, I don't know. Silly, silly, silly stuff. Super um, silly. <laughs> yep. Moving on to cannabis sports today. Um, we got a little piece of cannabis and sports, do we not? Uh, Coach yeah, th Tom, this is, uh, Tony Dungy. Yeah, this is an interview with Tony Dungy in late February. I saved it and uh, found it for today. Oh. And he's. He's discussing uh, marijuana, and um, it's obviously in the NFL and how they went about 
dealing with it as far as when they were drafting players or signing players, um, to what extent it was an issue for him. Um, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Let's listen. You mentioned the issue of drug tests, and every year there's inevitably a list of guys who test positive at the combine or who admit to smoking marijuana. And, and I keep going back to the root issue here, and, and I've never really gotten a clear explanation on this. Why does the NFL even care about guys smoking marijuana on their own personal time if it doesn't affect their performance? Well, number one, Mike, it's against the law. So, um, you know, the, if you are found with marijuana in your possession, um, you know, you, you're going to have some legal consequences. So if I'm a, a coach, I want to be careful about drafting guys who, who I know are going to have marijuana in their possession. Yeah, now many of them will, and many of them never get caught or it never comes across in a drug test. But that's something I want to know if I'm a coach. And now I can take my chances. I can still draft a guy. I can still have him on my team. But at least I know I've got some potential legal issues that I may have to deal with. And the other thing is that, that a lot of times, not always, but, but marijuana leads to other things. And, and so you've got to be careful um, when you draft somebody that has a history of marijuana. You have to know there may be other drugs involved. Did you did you draft players where you knew they had a history of marijuana and just were willing to give them an opportunity to you know to stay clean and stay away from trouble? You know, um, I don't know that we ever drafted anyone that, that tested positive. Um, we talked to guys who said they had used it. When we had, that would be one of the questions. Hey, you you were you had an arrest or you had an issue or you were kicked off the team? Tell me what happened. Tell me where you are. Uh, you know, and and you. You know, you'd have to make a decision. Do I believe this guy? Is he been up front with me? Is this something that is in his past? Um, and then you have other guys that just tell you, this This is what I believe. I don't think it hurts my performance. I've done it, uh, and, and I think I'll continue to do it. Um, so, you know, you, you, it runs the whole gamut. But for us, we were very, very careful uh, taking those guys. It was just something that, that I didn't necessarily want on the team. Now, obviously, you know that, that you're going to have it. Uh, if you've got 53 guys, um, and not everybody is going to get caught with, with the test. So, um, you know, it is just another indicator. It's not the be-all, end-all. Hmm. So, yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, it, it sounds fairly, it sounds like they are fairly reasonable about it. it what I'm amazed at is, it doesn't seem like every guy that they talk to about marijuana use admits that they use it. Every player admits that they've used it because they've been busted with it or something like that. Some of them just right. admit to it, it sounds like. You know what I mean? And Yeah, um, yeah they say, and, I make $60 million. Kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, right. And they say, and I've been like smoking weed. marijuana. So, yeah, right. <laughs> and um, <laughs> You want a list? I can tell right. you why. I like, a, I like weed for a lot of reasons. And it sounded to me like he was basically not fully admitting it, but kind of admitting it that he's definitely hired guys before that he knows uses marijuana. Uh huh. Because their because their performance just really spoke otherwise. You know, kind of <laughs> like they say, action speaks louder than words. Walking the walk is so much more important than just squawking and talking. And you know, this is just they see that in that context, and they see these players just excelling and just being amazing players and. These players, some of them are just like, you know, don't buy into the hype, man. You know, cannabis is awesome stuff, and I'm going to keep using it. 
Right. And, and um, I mean, you know, the legal issue is one thing. Of course, if you've got, you know, if you're going to get a player that's worth a lot of money and they're going to end up going to jail because they, right. you know, then because you've signed them to a contract, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you, you pay attention to that kind of stuff. But then they make a decision on a player by player basis. So you're really badass and you smoke a little bit of pot. And other than that, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're good. So, like, that's like one thing that they've got on a player, they probably kind of look the other direction, especially if that player doesn't test negative and hasn't gotten in trouble. And, but what did you think about his gateway theory thing there? He didn't say, he said, not all the time, but some of the times marijuana means that they're linked with other drugs and that could potentially be a problem. What do you think about that? Yeah, it was a tough one to get a line on where he was going with this. I was like, is this guy pro-cannabis or no, or like anti-cannabis? He's like being really carefully, gingerly walking the line. He's very politically, uh, kind of a political foresight he was using there. But, right. Uh, right, the whole way through it, it was kind of like the vibe was, it's not the absolute worst thing in the world, but it can be an indicator of problems with a player, which, you know, I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily completely false. I mean, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, other bad habits, you know, eating way too much for a guy that already sure. has weight problems could be too. I mean, you know, I'm sure that, and they look at that too, you know, so um, I don't know. It's I, I think that, I think he's basically kind of getting at, eh, it, you know, it's a legal issue. Um, we make a decision player by player. It's in the NFL. It's never not going to be in the NFL. It's on your team. It's never not going to be on your team. Right. We decide player by player, case by case, and it's and just it's good huge. for us to know, you know, whether or not they do. So it's huge in the uh, in the in the chef world, the culinary world, culinary arts, <laughs> and and all those guys have chefs, you know. So oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. You know, they get For some sure. great gotch coming through there. It's got the access on a regular basis. It's just yeah, up to be. whether they feel like smoking or not. I puff or I don't. It's a choice. Right, right. Right. Some, Looks like uh, we got a, a stock, Cincy stock market update, or are we? Um, no, actually, you know what? This is a, a PR release from these people. So it's going to be bent a little bit towards kind of influencing you to really like them. But uh, I thought it was interesting what's going on, just kind of uh, keeping an eye on what's happening with uh, how the industry, how the cannabis industry is affecting uh, ideas and how things are being proposed. This uh, Recently, a tech company identified uh, or they, they came up with a way to identify marijuana strains with artificial intelligence. Um, story says, well, this, the, the release reads as such, uh, ever wonder what type of marijuana you have? There's an app for that. And it's called strain brain, the newest creation from the medical cannabis network, uh, the M the MCN at strainbrain.com, medical marijuana patients can upload pictures of their cannabis and the web application will use a proprietary software system. Uh, similar to facial recognition technology, uh, to automatically identify the strain in its medicinal its what? use. What? It shows locations where the strain can be purchased legally and provides strain suggestions for similar strains. This is the first time in history facial recognition technology has been applied to the cannabis industry, making Strain Brain the most sophisticated marijuana review site ever created. And I thought, Wow, that's impressive. So I went straight there and uh, 
It doesn't look like anything's up yet. So I don't know, man. It's been a few days since I checked, so maybe it's uh, it's new. Can you uh, give strainbrand.com a little visit? (laughs) You can upload a picture. It says, want to know what you're smoking? If you have a clear picture of your bud, upload the image image below. Upload the image below, weird. And we'll match it uh, to our strain database and tell you what it might be. Nice. Yeah. So uh, I don't know how big that'll work. I will see, but it's funny. It's uh, it's gonna be uh, available in the iTunes Store later in uh, 2011. So the, the might want to look out for that. One. The skeptic of me, in me is uh, jumping and screaming right now, doubting that. Yeah. But how cool would that be? <laughs> take a take a take a snapshot real quick, dude. What is this? I don't know, man. Oh, look, it says it's uh. What if this is like a a DEA honey pot? Donkey. Yeah. You know, a honeypot like where you can go and upload your picture, but it's just like a list that you get on then because you went to this website. <laughs> Compiling your own evidence file on yourself. Oh, that sucks. Well, this is weird, suck. man. This is an interesting find. Strain brain. Yeah, I thought it was weird. So anyway, I just thought we'd just mention that. Just for the fun of it, it's a little bit more lighthearted, interesting, definitely relevant. It's uh, it's funny how this issue just seeps into every aspect of our lives. And uh, tech companies are, are capitalized on it. We had another story that's uh, pushed back somewhere in our files. Um, it was about uh, uh, software being written specifically for cannabis industry-related activities. Um, for running uh, dispensaries and so forth. So that's pretty cool that, you know, it's it's in a legitimate business way. It's hitting the tech area. Oh, if there's a problem, there's someone out there trying to create a solution, especially when it comes to, you know, software and technology. So slick stuff. Well, we got a, what we got going on here. We got a, this is the one we were talking about running last week. You got a research bin story, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cannabis legalization. Are we at a tipping point? Well, I don't know. Let me get off on my little brief rant for the day. <laughs> Let me tell you, I have this theory or this notion or this belief, or I don't even know what you want to call it, but it's all those things. My perspective, it's what I think is really, really, really where it's at. I think it's accurate to say that we are right now, as we speak at a tipping point, We're at a policy uh, tipping point uh, within our populace of this nation. And now is the time, I say, seize the day. So along those lines, and uh, I think this is our last story of the day, of episode 60 of the Cannabis Agenda. I want to remind everybody to stick around because we have a really good uh, clip for the end of the show today. Um, It's called, believe it or not, The Marijuana policy tipping point um which is the title of a book um cannabinomics the marijuana policy tipping point um by dr christopher fitcher um so it's totally worth sticking around for that one um in relationship to that i think this will flow right nicely and now that i think about it um Support for marijuana legalization is slowly rising like the cloud of smoke you see above an ann arbor's 420 rally is what uh what the story says, this one's from uh, the Huffington Post. Um, Emily Swanson wrote this particular one, but the data is the important part about this story. Um, data compiled by the, the Pew Research Center 
and drawn primarily from the general social survey, has found a consistent trend towards supporting legalization of marijuana for recreational use, but no poll so far has shown a majority in favor. But if you check out the story on our site, you get this link to this uh, story on our site, on our website, um, in our show notes, you can see this little nifty uh, thing. If you click on the graphic, actually, I think it'll blow it right up for you. It'll take you actually to the research, Pew Research Center, and you can check out what's going on with, uh, with uh, this in a little bit more detail. But it's very cool to see that, um, hold on a second, there we go, that it goes back from 1990 um, Pew Research Center um, data is uh, from 90 to 08. And way back in 90, it's like illegal, 81% said it should be, should said marijuana uh, should be illegal. And uh, 16% said it should be legal in 1990 and now you can see it you'll just have to go check this out i would encourage you to do that because it's a cool graphic and it's uh these things are like the illegal ones going down 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 and the legal ones going up 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 and they're meeting almost in the middle and it's like 40 or 50 percent uh roughly um at this point are saying that marijuana use should be illegal still and it's approaching 50 percent of the nation which literally is a tipping point so I thought this type of research data um, is 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 certainly uh, relevant and and uh, timely to our to our audio program because um, this is the trend that we have to be we have to have uh, our 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 fingers on the pulse of of this trend. We need to know when it's at a tipping point where we all have to stand up and push this thing over and get some laws established and do it in such a way where they can't like just go, okay, now we're going to pass a new law that says that law is, you know, stupid and doesn't exist. I mean, you have to you have to protect the legislation that we get when we get it. But I would argue we are at a tipping point, and now is the time for people to stand up and really get motivated and to push this thing over. A few more huge statewide legalization discussions like uh, California's Prop 19 one, and uh, we're well on our way. So that's a good uh, uh, piece of research. There's a lot of good stuff you can uh, link to within the story to click on. It has a bunch of little graphics and stuff like that. If you're interested in that type of research data, um, I thought it would be cool to take a look. See, yes, sir. And with that, that is episode 60 of the cannabis agenda. Mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm thrilled that everybody joins us. And uh, I, I appreciate everybody's patience with me, like being all you know, beat up <laughs> from my semester and, you know, the spinal thingy, spinal thingy. No, you're, you're good. You're on your way back. You're, you're good. You hit, you, you did all the, you did all the hard stuff. Now it's just downhill for a little bit. So you're back sure. in it. A so. week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, guys, we're, we're all, we're always, you know, we're so grateful that you guys are out there. You guys really do make, um, this, this whole thing work. And, um, this, uh, the whole, the whole cannabis legalization movement requires a lot of momentum and without you guys, uh, it just wouldn't happen. So, uh, keep that momentum going. Um, please consider helping us out here at the cannabis agenda by, uh, donating to us. Uh, you can scr- subscribe monthly if you'd like. Um, we've, 
suggest a subscription of four dollars and twenty cents if you can swing it, or more, or less, whatever. Um, or you can just make a one-time contribution. That would be awesome too. Four dollars and twenty cents, or whatever you could afford, forty-two bucks, whatever. Um, it would really help us out. Uh, follow along at our website, cannabisagenda.com. Um, you can uh, check out the show notes there, um, all, along with listening to the show. Uh, a lot of other stuff you can do on the website too. So check it out. Uh, email us anytime, info at cannabisagenda.com. Questions, comments, suggestions, scoops, potential interviews, whatever. Send them in or uh, phone us, uh, 707-654-CAN, C-A-N-N, which are the numbers 2266. You can leave us a voicemail there up to three minutes. Check us out on iTunes. We're there. Subscribe. And uh, if you uh, if you would, please leave us some reviews. And uh, yeah, if you use Twitter or Facebook, we're on there as well. So check us out there and um, suggest us to your friends. Uh, that's episode 60 guys we really appreciate y'all peace and pot alright we'll see you next week guys take care you've been listening to the cannabis agenda your weekly source for cannabis related news and informed discussion we podcast every week covering topics related to cannabis legalization medical marijuana and market information As always, you can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. Cannabis is an American homegrown commodity, and it's time that um, uh, Americans took ownership of it, and we need the cooperation of the federal government to achieve that. I'm Dr. Christopher Fitchner. I'm uh, a psychiatrist and the author of uh, a new book that's just come out in the last couple of months called Cannabinomics, The Marijuana Policy Tipping Point. The tipping point is the real-time convergence of three distinct policy trajectories that can be identified if we look back over the last, well, certainly the last uh, decade and a half, but in particular, even over the last five years, we see a, a building convergence of these three tra- trajectories. What are they? The first is the medical marijuana movement. It began in California, really, uh, with, with the 1996 uh, law passed uh, here. Uh, and then since that time, I think 14 other states have, have joined on, have various versions of a, of, of a law which allows for certain individuals to get access to cannabis with the approval of their doctor. The second would be uh, the um, recognition of the drug war as a public health problem in its own right. In other words, the drug war as uh, as a way of managing uh, drug-related issues that is creating more public health problems than it's solving. Too many people incarcerated, too many people arrested, too many people, in fact, killed, uh, actually. And, you know, one of the one of the um, sort of uh, developments that's been a focus of a lot of media attention has been the drug war in Mexico, and has been the violence around the Mexican and American border. Um, that has been uh, uh, an issue that's gotten increasing attention, and I think uh, you know, uh, at a, on a on a uh, you know on a less drastic scale perhaps, but in a way, in some ways more palpable for people that are involved in it here has been this whole series of raids by the federal government on people trying to, you know, peacefully uh, manage access to cannabis for medicinal use in California. Cannabis policy becomes a subset of that drug policy problem, which is 
the easiest of all to address. Why is it so easy to address? Because there's so much use of it in the United States and because by comparison to other substances that we know of, uh, cannabis just doesn't have the same level of dangerousness. Certainly not as alcohol or tobacco. Certainly not you know, as dangerous as many of the prescription drugs that the FDA has already approved. There's a growing recognition that the way we're treating marijuana or cannabis in this society doesn't match what we know about the relative harms associated with it or you know, on the other side, the safety of it. So the medical trajectory is the first one. The recognition of the public health uh, problems associated with the drug war is the second one. And the third is the economic crisis, that we're really sitting at a time where if it's ever been clear that uh, drug prohibition, and especially as an easier to manage subset of that marijuana prohibition, if it's ever been clear that that was not affordable and was ill-advised, and there are many different aspects to that, if it's ever been clear that that's the case, it's certainly clear now. And many people have said that uh, the normalization, that the regulation, the tax and regulation, the development of a cannabis industry that offers quality control for consumers, many people have argued that that could be part uh, of an overall package of, uh, uh, you know, of, of economic uh, recovery. So if you look back at the uh, elections in November of 2006, where you had three states, South Dakota almost passed medical marijuana, 48% of the vote on an initiative. Uh, Colorado uh, almost passed a decri decriminalization initiative similar to what Denver had passed the year before, which is um, decriminalizing cannabis on the basis of the idea that it is safer than alcohol. And 41% of the vote came through on that Colorado trajectory. And then Nevada the same year attempted to tax and regulate proposal much along the lines of what California is looking at now on a much smaller scale because there's you know it's obviously not as big a state, but they got 44% of the vote. So there you had uh, a medical, a public health, and an economic trajectory all below the radar because they didn't get passed, but they were just close enough to passing to catch you know the eye of somebody like me who was looking at the field already and to say, look, this is a harbinger of what we're going to see. In cannabinomics, I used the term incoherent as a way of describing uh, federal policy on cannabis. And the reason that I called it that is because um, we know which compound it is that has the greatest potential for creating feelings of paranoia or possibly creating hallucinations or, or creating uh, you know more impairment and you know and in fact the feeling of being high the euphoria and that's THC and THC has been available as a prescription medicine since 1985 and synthetic THC which is ironic that they make it in the laboratory to avoid having to extract it from the plant and many have pointed out more recently that extract it from the plant is actually cheaper than making it in the laboratory, but uh, these are the lengths to which the government has gone to avoid actually using the, having a legitimate use for the plant. The only, the only um, legitimate that research that, um, for the most part, until very, very recently, the vast majority of the legitimate research that has gone on in the United States with the cannabis plant has been um, uh, to study it as a substance of abuse. There's a limited number of people who do still get access to federally grown cannabis, which they say is not very good compared to the kinds of uh, strains of herbal cannabis that can be uh, grown uh, by uh, in a competitive environment where you have different people with different ideas working on new strain, working on strains, working on uh, uh, you know. Uh, working on the genetics of, uh, of, of, uh, of herbal cannabis, um, the, the potential 
quality improvement is much greater than what's been able to be realized up to this point under the very restrictive um, uh, uh, you know, federal uh, cultivation for the compassionate use program, but uh, but that is another another irony, another contradiction in federal policy. Uh, almost no um, uh, cannabis therapeutics research has been uh, really supported by the federal government or even allowed by the federal government. So um, you have. Uh, you have the, uh, the compound THC that probably people would be most concerned about uh, rated as a Schedule 3 drug, and yet you have marijuana uh, in Schedule 1, which is illegal, no medical use. Obviously, it has THC in it, but it has a whole array of 60 or 70 or maybe more different estimates of how many um, uh, uh, cannabinoid compounds, plus a number of other compounds. And many people, uh, especially in other countries now, are beginning to explore the therapeutic value of some of those other compounds. So let's say, for example, CBD, uh, which is um, uh, really not associated with a, a high at all, per se. As far as we know, it does not impair people, at least the research that, that I've read. And there's European re research and there's Brazilian research that uh, finds that it actually has some antipsychotic properties. And so, you know, one of my uh, uh, special interest issues is that, uh, yes, we know that cannabis is helpful for nausea and vomiting. Yes, we know that it's helpful for neurological pain. We know that it has anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, we know that it, uh, people find it useful for muscle relaxation and illnesses like, uh, uh, like multiple sclerosis, uh, and even for things like migraine headaches. So there's a whole variety of uses that people report benefit. Um, in most of the states, uh, pain management and other sort of physical pain or physical illness uh, uses are the ones that are approved for you know doctors to recommend access to cannabis. So in Cal California, really, in my read, is the only state that doesn't actively discriminate against persons with mental illness who are looking for it because of its anti-anxiety or mood stabilizing properties. Are we going to uh, hit a tipping point this November? You know, I'm going to say we're in the process of that, and I'm going to say yes. I mean, I think that uh, everything points in that direction. More importantly than that, I think when California does get there, whether it's this November or later, I do think it will be this November. But when California does get there, I think the number of other states that are going to fall right behind it will be a, a large number. I think almost every state that's approved it medically will fall in behind California very, very rapidly. And I think there are other states that are working on medical initiatives that will stop and change it into a tax and regulate initiative. Cannabinomics was written to call for change, not at the state level, that's already happening, it's, to call, it's written to call for change at the federal level, for the federal government to step in and take some ownership, not of cannabis prohibition, not of marijuana prohibition, but of regulation of access to herbal cannabis for medicinal, therapeutic, and uh, age-restricted, over-the-counter access. Um, the federal government needs to take an active role in that because we all have a stake in it.